0: Economic indicators who knows
1: where this is going to end up To understand the economy you have to understand human nature. How are you doing there? it is David it is time for the podcast. You know the drill we're trying to make economics that bit more comprehensible that little bit more relevant and hopefully shed light on things that are going on in the society that economics can explain, but rarely does. This week I'm gonna talk about a problem that is very, very severe in Ireland, but it's severe all over the world, at least the Western world that is, and that's the housing market, rental market, accommodation, and the fact that many, many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people here, and many millions all around the world are being priced out of the housing market. Before we begin, I want to just mention that this episode is brought to you thanks to our Patreon supporters. And to help support the content, and perhaps more importantly, to unlock exclusive comment and scenes and footage and episodes, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. I'm joined as always by uh, Mr. D. What is the crack, my man?
2: Very good. How are you?
1: Have you recovered from Kilkenomics? I have recovered, but I'm actually... You know, I've deflated that it's over now because he spent so much time (laughs) thinking about these things and putting people together and saying, well, that panel work and when those work. But I got the uh, I got the greatest uh, compliment uh, on Twitter there the other day by a wonderful Sudanese-British journalist called Nazarene Malik, who said, Kilkenomics, it's like Davos, but without the wankers. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's pretty spot on actually. I thought it was good you know? an yeah, actual fun. fact
1: it was only seconded by the Australian newspaper which wrote a review for us many many years ago right. they'd arrived in the first of seven and they said it's like Davos but without the hookers <laughs> so take your pick uh, so those, these are, those are great and you know it was a wonderful weekend and we have some wonderful conversations that we're going to share with people on the podcast over the course of the coming Weeks and months, like really, really brilliant ones, you'd never get anywhere else. Yeah. But interestingly, I was driving up from uh, Kilconomics, and the little bulb on the car went, little old Volkswagen Golf. Mm. And there's a really good mechanic up the road here, and they used to have a little place up Mount Town in Dunleary, and now they've a new place at Kill Lane. So I went up to them, and interestingly, they had to move because, of course some landlord had eventually decided that they were going to jack up the rents, I presume. Yeah. So they yeah. moved. And I was talking to them the other day, getting the little bull fixed. And I said, how are you doing? They said, we're out the door at work. We can't get any mechanics. Oh. And I thought, this is very interesting. I said, why? They said, we had a couple of Polish lads working with us. I said, we'll get them, but we had a couple of Polish lads. And uh, once their rent went above two grand a month, which is the average. in Their housing rent. Their though. housing rent, yeah. their rent. The East European lads said, you know what, screw this. Because the East European lads are here to make money. The way we went to London or yeah. New York years ago, make money for five, six, seven years, get your nest egg, go back, back to yeah. Central Europe and start your business there. Mm. Interesting. Like we were talking about last, last
2: week in the Berlin Wall, you know,
1: yeah. we've got this massive benefit from these guys.
2: So this, this was actually one of the unintended consequences of, this the, of one, the Berlin Wall exactly. come down that we all became middle class and so therefore it shot up prices and property and everything well, else. Two things happened, John, and this is really interesting. One is that
1: over the last 10 or certainly 10 years since the crash, all the gains, the wealth gains have gone to property owners because mm. property prices have recovered so dramatically and rents have gone through the roof. I'll give you the figures in a second. But the other thing is that these, so these Central European guys are going home because they can't afford to pay the rent. It's not that they can't afford it, but their calculation in their head is look, if I want to save 10 grand a year to bring back to the Czech Republic or to Hungary or to Ukraine or to Lithuania. I can't be forking out two grand a month on rent yeah, because course. that's gone to somebody yeah, else. It's dead money. So I was talking to Tommy and Alan, and they were just saying, look, it's very, very difficult. And that got me thinking again about two things. One is the rental market here in Ireland and how bizarre it is. Mm. Two is the lack of mechanics. So I said, well, what about Irish mechanics? Can't you get Irish mechanics? He says, no, we're not producing enough of them. And the reason is, and this is interesting, when we were kids, Lots and lots of lads we knew went to the tech, the local tech in Delary, yeah. right in Sally Noggin, the tech, right? and the tech was to create an industrial worker, a manual worker, a tradesman who could work with their with her hands and work as a mechanic, as an yeah. electrician, as a plumber, as a boiler expert, etc. One of the interesting downsides of the upswing in education in Ireland because now we are producing so many more graduates, four times more than when I was in yeah. university. Five times more, actually. When I was in university, only 12% of Irish people graduated from university. It's 12%? Now, yeah, it's now 50%, right? Right. So Jesus, that it's dramatically, seems really low. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's <laughs> dramatically increased. But at the same time, trades have collapsed. Yeah. Nobody's going into trades. It's the
2: snob factor.
1: It's the snob factor. Yeah. It's basically, everyone wants a white-collar job. And... We're not producing mechanics because we abandoned the techs, the technical schools. Yeah. And we don't have an apprentice culture here. We used to have an apprentice culture. We don't because everyone wants to send their kids to swanky universities to have swanky jobs in Google and Facebook. But I'll give you a mad thing, John. The most successful country in Europe by a country mile is Switzerland. Switzerland has the lowest proportion of people in their 20s in university in really? the whole of Europe. And the reason is the following. They have the German system. Germany too. Very, very much smaller percentage. Yeah. yeah. Why? Germany has this, These all German schools have this This hoax school, which is of the swanky school. Yeah. The middle school, which is for middle people. And then the grund school, which is for people who do trades, right? Grund school. Grund. Grund means ground school, or ground or less, level. The, so it's grund school. Right? And Switzerland takes that as well. So in Switzerland, you will find great mechanics Great electricians, great plumbers who have enormous pride in their work, get paid extremely well, have small little companies making things, fixing things because they value manual labor. Now, I tell you, it's a great article in The Atlantic. Google it. It's called In Praise of Manual Labor. And it is a beautiful thing. It's published about 10 years ago but it talks about the cerebral element in manual labor and the satisfaction that somebody yeah. gets from fixing something. It's about a guy who was a management consultant, thought it was shite. His real love in life was fixing motorbikes. He set up a motorbike fixing mechanic outfit. and That's what he does. Fantastic. And it's a thing of beauty. But the laws of economics are very, very simple. If the supply of something expands, like office workers... Mm -hmm. The actual return, the wages they get falls, doesn't rise. And what's happened is the wages of mechanics have risen, but those mechanics are coming in from outside. But they've been driven away by high rents. And this creates a massive friction in the economy, a massive problem. Now, interesting, this week, Daft, the website that looks after, or that provides very good research Mm. on rents, came out with the average monthly rent in the third quarter of 2019 in Ireland. And it is across the country, 1,400. But in Dublin, on average, Dublin city is 2,083, a two grand on average. North city is 1,900. Then West Dublin's 1,800. North County Dublin's 1,700. South County Dublin, not the South City, South County Dublin, is 2,200 euros a month. But what is very, very clear is that the rental market has gone not only crazy, but what is happening is there's price gouging from landlords on a massive scale because they can. These are not enough apartments being built. And what is happening is that the apartments that are being built are so expensive that people can't buy them, right? So at the moment in Dublin, there are only two apartment developments for sale to Joe Punter. Only two in the whole city.
2: And the reason
1: is because they're above 400 grand and nobody can afford them. Yeah. So that is pushing everybody into the rental sector. And that is driving up rents completely because the old-fashioned I will buy an apartment is now gone because they're far too expensive. Yeah. So people are being pushed into rental. And then as people are pushed into rental, what happens is not only do the rents at the top go up, but the rents at the bottom go up. So the rents that used to be there for properties that used to be available for poorer people have now gone up. And that's elbowed at the poorer people in the rental market. And they are the ones who are becoming homeless. So you can see it's a massive shunting effect. Yeah if you look again at the figures, it's extraordinary what has happened. Ireland's had the longest ever run of increasing rental prices. And that is over the last 10 years, rents have gone up every single month. Rental inflation now is probably peaking, I think, because it did peak at about 12% increases year on year. That was about 2018. It's now fallen back a bit. But what you see is that over the last 10 years, rents have doubled in this city, doubled in this city. And as a result of that, loads and loads of people have been priced out. So, Mike, but what's kind of causing
2: this? What's the so, root of this?
1: So let's, let's think. So on average, Irish people now are paying between 35 and 40% mm. of their disposable income on rent. That is way out of kilter with the rest of the world. It should be between 15 and 20. And in most countries, people say, if you pay more than a quarter of your take-home wage on rent, get out of the market. In Ireland, many, many people listening to the podcast are paying half their disposable income on rent, depending on their take-home income. Now, what's causing it is, the first thing is we're not building enough apartments. One of the reasons. Let's look at the supply. One of the great mistakes in economics. One of the great fallacies. And I notice that sometimes I have to go on TV, and you get some one of those economists from the one of the banks in, in Ireland. I've always noticed they've got very square heads when they're on the telly <laughs> with you, It's like talking to a flat screen television. It's like a brick. Gavin will say things like, "Well, well, I, you know, when the price, yeah. the, you know, it's all supply and demand. And yeah. uh, When the price goes up, the demand goes down, which is not true. They also say when the price goes up, the supply goes up." which is not true. So what actually happens in supply is when the price of land or houses goes up, people who have houses and would sell them think, "Mm, I'd be mad to sell this year because prices are going up by 20 or 30 grand a year. I'll sell next year. And developers who say, "Mm, I could bring this apartment scheme to the market this year, maybe I'll wait till next year if prices are going up, right?
2: But that's kind of
1: natural. So what I'm saying is that economists say that when the price goes up, the supply goes up. It doesn't.
2: Right, When the price
1: goes up, people hoard land.
2: Yeah, yeah. They hoard
1: the asset. And once they hoard the asset, whether they're in a flat or a house, or whether they're about to sell land onto the market or they're about to develop land, once you hoard, it contracts supply. So you have this very strange dynamic that over the last... 10 years in Ireland, or eight years, price of houses have been going up and up and up. And one of the reasons that the supply of houses hasn't been going up and up and up is that people are hoarding, Mm -hmm. right? So you take that dynamic, number one. Number two is what I call bananaism, which is this build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything, that the most vicious (laughs) political movement in Ireland isn't, you know, the real IRA or one of those... Crazies, right? It's actually a well-financed, well-argued residence committee. Yeah. Full of people who did best in Trinity, actually. Like you. Exactly. <laughs> That's how I know them. I can smell them, right? <laughs> and they're like, basically, it's the they're, basically, it's the contented class. They're basically, what we have, we hold. So, for example, you see, amazing, like, politicians will say things like, oh my God, we should build more houses and yet they're the very same politicians we were at the front of a march to preserve St. Anne's Park in the north side. Okay? Yeah. To say, no building around here. So, bananaism is, not, is nimbyism squared. So, nimbyism is not in my backyard. Yeah. Bananism is this build, absolutely nothing, anywhere near anything. And what it is, is the middle classes want to protect their own. Which is why we have more golf clubs within the M50, which we should be building on. Than maybe any other urban centre in Ireland or in the world. Any other centre in the world, we have golf clubs. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have open prairies almost around the M50, right? With horses on them. They actually have them around Dunsink, right? (laughs) So why is this? Because at every juncture, golf clubs, views, my right to this, my right to that, argues against development. Even Leo Veradker in Castleknock argued against a development. Did he? Right? Yeah. Even, so he's on television saying, We have a housing crisis, we want to fix it. But actually, as a politician, he's siding with the residents' committee because he realizes that if these people turn against him, he might lose his seat. In Stillorgan, your neck of the woods, yeah. all the politicians decided to go against the development of Stillorgan Grange. All
0: of them. Yeah. Right? Just oh,
1: listen, don't, don't
2: even get me started on Stillorgan or Sandyford, where it, it was left half built there's a big skeleton of a huge tower block and oh i know it yeah it's 15 stories high or something and it's just a skeleton and it's been like it's been there for over 10 years now and nothing is happening it's really frustrating
1: so what you what So you either s- knock it
2: down or finish it so
1: what you're seeing is so there's the supply response has been very very weak this is not unique to Ireland the same things happening in London the same things happening in major cities mm. all around the world yeah
2: but, but- the thing about London is that, is that they're building proper high-rise. That's the other thing. Here in Ireland, we have this obsession with
1: low-rise. Yeah. And the problem with low-rise, it means you can't have any intensive development if you have low-rise. Because by definition, it's low-rise. So you take those structural problems together. So one is the political cycle and the impact of residence committees on planning. The second one is this bizarre notion that we can't build upwards in the city, not mm. just Dublin, but yeah, Cork and Limerick, bonkers, or whatever. Yeah. And then the third one is the fact that construction costs are really high.
2: That's incredible, and especially down the road for me, not far from me, they're building a new block of apartments. They've been at it for six months now. There's no building going on, but every couple of days, a couple of big Arctic lorries comes along with. Prefabricated walls, as it should be. Yeah, as it, so it's it's much much cheaper. It's just it poured concrete cheaper. into models. They ship them in, and then they just glue them together like Lego, like it Meccano in the old should days. Should
1: be John. There is no apartment development in this city for sale at the moment under four hundred thousand euros. Mm-hmm. Now take those together, and then let's look at the demand side. Yeah. You have Ireland is the fastest-growing population in Europe at the moment. The natural increase in our population is six persons per thousand, which means when you divide the amount of people who die, the amount of people who are born, there are six new babies every What's the year. armature across Europe? Do you know? Uh, it's minus one. So more people are dying than being born it in is. Europe. Okay, so right. our population, adjacent, is the right response to that, right? <laughs> That's the first thing, right? Second thing is we have a lot more international workers than most other countries. Yeah. So I'll give you a statistic for Dublin rents, right? In 2018, Irish tenants accounted for just 19% of the renters in Dublin Docklands. That means 81% of the renters are international workers. Now, you can take... Well, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be renting. They, they've of got to rent somewhere. So. No, of but not. what I'm saying is this is an inbuilt dynamic... Because of all the foreign companies we have here yeah. and all the foreign talent. So it's another pressure on the system, right? That's the word. So first is our own natural increase. Yeah. The second is the increase in international workers coming here. This is all pushing up rents. Yeah. And the reason it's pushing up rents and not prices is because we're starting at such a high level that nobody can afford to buy. So they're getting shunted into the rental market. Now, what this is having another effect, which is really unusual, is the gap between the lowest rents and the highest rents is the lowest in Europe, in Ireland. And what that means is, so if you take the rent, the average rent of the lowest 20% of apartments, and the average rent on the highest 20% of apartments, the gap between that is very small in Ireland. What that means, John, is that really shitty apartments are being lived in by people who are paying really high rents. Yeah. Now, the problem for that is the people who used to live in the bad apartments, the apartments that were, you know, built in the 1950s and 60s, the airy, damp, all that, used to be poorer people. Those people are being elbowed out by richer people because yeah. the market's dysfunctional. And it's those people who are ending up homeless. Yeah, That's why you're getting the homelessness. Because the people who used to rent at the bottom end of the market are being elbowed out by people who are richer, who in a different country would be living in swanky apartments yeah. built for them. But because we're not building them,
2: those people have to settle for apartments that used to be lived in by much poorer people. And I suppose that the, the other thing as well is that the people who are pushed into apartments, they're paying such a high proportion of their income on rent that they'll never be able to get out of the rental trap because they'll never be able to build up enough money to buy. Well, the interesting thing, rent shouldn't be a trap. Mm. Okay? It's
1: only a trap in countries like Ireland that do not protect tenants properly, that do not give decent longevity of tenure. Do you remember the land leak? Not yesterday. Yeah. 1870s they yeah. had three ideas this is our nation is built on the land leagues idea Parnell Michael Davitt they were driven by three ideas called the three F's you might remember from your leaving I Two, yeah fair rent so you weren't gouged as a tenant fixity of tenure so you had you know a decent tenure you couldn't be yeah. kicked yeah. out and fair sale that if you owned a place if you were a poor person who owned a place you could sell freely.
2: Mm.
1: What we have in Ireland, we've no fair rent because rents are going through the roof. We've no fixity of tenure.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
1: people are getting kicked out and we have fair sale but you don't have two of the basic foundations of this country were based on the land leak. yeah so then you think about okay What else is going on? The other thing that's going on is that Irish family structure is changing dramatically, right? So, this is an amazing statistic. In 1981, and I did this for the last book, Renaissance Nation, I was doing some research. Yeah. 14% of females and 15 or 16% of males were single at 40 in their Late 30s and early 40s. Okay? Right, That figure has trebled for women and trebled for men. So now you have over 40% of Irish men and women in their mid to late 30s are single. This is a phenomenal social change. That's
2: why Tinder has taken off.
1: Good job, we're not in Tinder. Could you imagine the <laughs> fucking state of aspirant Tinder, right? But what does that do to household construction? Means we need a totally different household base. That we need one and two bedroom apartments. What have we been building? We've still been building three bedroom semis out in the suburbs. Yeah. So our our housing stock is
2: totally disproportionate and wrong for our actual. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Isn't there weren't they complaining that there wasn't enough family houses back in two thousand and six, two thousand and seven? Back in 2006,
1: 2007 there weren't enough family houses in the city, which is why you got this massive development out in outside
2: Nice and Navan. But
1: also outside Cork and Line, yeah, and you got yeah. it outside Clare, Galway and Galway, all these places. But now the population structure is really really different. The other thing is that in terms of urbanization, the amount of the population who live in urban areas, Ireland is still amongst the lowest in Europe, mm. So if you take a country like Belgium, about 80% of Belgians live in what is described as urban areas. That figure in Ireland is 60%. But the great trends of demography are that we become urbanized. People yeah. will choose to live in cities. So what you've got is a household structure that's changing, a singleton structure that's changing, and more and more people having less and less kids later in life.
2: Okay?
1: Yeah. So bigger demand for one or two bedroom apartments a population that's increasing, an immigrant, an international population that's increasing. All of this means, and this is the amazing figure, that we need to build 400 apartments a week for the next 50 years in urban areas to satisfy the demand for housing. Think about that. Wow. 400 a week is 1,600 a month. How is a week,
2: it? Obviously, that's not even possible. So...
1: That is possible if you do two things. One is if you penalize land hoarding, and two is if the state builds houses. You know, back Ireland, in the old
2: days that the, the, the corporation... council builds.
1: houses, yeah. Council houses, right? And bills in significant numbers. And three, remember we, we spoke about Berlin the last two weeks. Yeah. We won't labor Berlin again. Berlin has introduced rent control rent caps for the first time ever. These are the sort of things that happen when you have a rental housing crisis. But think about it. All the demand factors are going through the roof. The supply factors are all stuck because of hoarding and because of planning restrictions and because the very increase in prices reduces supply, not expands supply. So you can't leave this to the free market. This is a total and utter... Nonsense that the free market fixes. The free market in the last carry on built far too many houses in the wrong place. We call them ghost estates. Mm -hmm. I think it was another one of my coining phrases (laughs) ghost estates. (laughs) Was it? Yeah, it was, right? (laughs) But the last time we built far too many houses in the wrong place, that was the free market. This time around, we're building too few houses in the right places. And
2: yet, and yet, You cast your eye over the skyline of Dublin or Cork and it's full of cranes.
1: And they're building offices. Yeah. They're not building houses. And the reason they're not building houses is because the developers say that we can only build a unit and it costs us 400 grand. And the central bank says, well, that's fine. but We're only going to give you three times your income. Yeah. And consequently, the central bank is trying to bring down house price inflation the developers are trying to say that we can't build any cheaper, but I've just told you that there's a monopoly stitching up this market or duopoly in cement alone. And you don't need to be a genius to figure this out. Just open your eyes. So there is at the center, and I remember years ago in primetime saying the Irish property market is a scam. Yeah. And I say it again, it's still a scam. And the worst thing is All the income is going to a rentier class. Now, what happens in economics is if a rentier, like a drone class, if they get paid substantially, so they're charging 3,000 euros for a gaff in town or whatever, right? If those people end up garnering all the income of the country, two things happen. One is that the key to economics is innovation. Bricks and mortar, land, property, it's the least innovative asset because it doesn't create any. Yeah, It doesn't create nothing. any ideas, it doesn't create any any jobs, it doesn't create any technology, it doesn't create anything new, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's dead money for the state. That's number one. It goes into a rentier class, number two. Number three is the inequality that is the wealth inequality we've spoken about in Ireland. Yeah. All of Irish wealth, for the vast majority of Irish wealth, is wrapped up in houses and land. So if you allow the returns to houses and land increase as a government, you amplify inequality and that amplifies resentment and it also makes Ireland a much less attractive place to come and do business in because everyone knows, hold on a second, a rentier landlord class is getting all the gains, while the actual working class, the people who work, who make everything, are actually getting less and less and less. So unless we in Ireland fix this, and it is fixable, the economy will just simply grind to a halt.
2: It's kind of, it's really frustrating. And if it's frustrating for me and you, it's even more frustrating for people like my daughter, my eldest daughter, yeah, Maggie. Maggie, what is Maggie? She's 21, She's 22? 21 and a half. And <laughs> it's very important to have. Very important. But she is desperate to get out of the house. Just to, not to get away from us, well maybe it is, but to strike so, out on her own. Of course it is. <laughs> but to strike out yeah, on her to own. Grow and, up. Yeah, yeah, and do her own thing. And she's attempted it a few times. She is doing everything right. She's working hard in college. She's got herself a job. She took a year off last year to try and build up some money. And no matter what she does, she's scuppered at every point. She just cannot afford to move out. Anywhere. Anywhere Anywhere in Dublin. And all she wants is to, as you say, is to grow up. But it's a huge source of frustration and stress and anxiety for her. And not just her, but for all of them, you know? All her mates. I mean, this is
1: what should always interest people about economics is the human cost of economic mistakes right yeah. so what does this actually mean for people's real lives to their psychology for their anxiety for their ability to grow up and the thing about growing up is growing up is all about achieving milestones moving from teenage years to kind of messy early adulthood yeah to becoming a normal proper quite make your mistakes and adult. Learn from it. in our generation that was all achievable in your 20s it wasn't Easy, but it was achievable. Mm. You could get a job that paid you a certain amount. If you're looking enough to get a job, that was always the problem back then, which is why so many people emigrated, because they couldn't yeah. make that life. But they could go to London and make that life, or go to New York or whatever. Then you move in with your mates, or your partner, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Then if you really think this is the right person, you might have a kid, you might at least plan, you might get married, all these milestones... And you have the deposit for a house. And it mightn't be the house you've always wanted to live in, but it's a starter home. And you begin that process of my life is now separate from my parents and I'm a sovereign individual. All of that was achievable before you were 30 in our generation. Mm. That has been pushed out until at least 40. So someone like Maggie, your daughter's thinking, she's looking at two decades and she's only two decades old. Yeah. So it's like double her life again before you get sorted. So the reason we need to fix the housing issue is not just short-term economics. It's deeply, deeply psychological for an entire generation or two. Mental health issues, yeah. There's all sorts of stuff going on there. Mental health, there's commitment. There's the type of commitments you make to a partner a lover, a wife, a husband, whatever you're into, all these commitments, there's commitments to your job. It's very, very hard to be also committed to your work if you're living hand to mouth in a very precarious way. Yeah. So you can't commit to your career. You can't commit to whoever you love. You can't say, you know what? Let's have a kid. That's totally and utterly beyond these people, right? Yeah. So you're pushing out child rearing into your 40s now these are massive structural change and at the core is a housing market that rewards old already rich landowners and penalizes young already anxious workers yeah and we gotta see it in this okay framework. so
2: what are the solutions what are the practical solutions
1: okay so you never underestimate the power of The land lobby, not just in Ireland, Mm. but everywhere. Because land is wealth in our countries, because we reward hoarding land. And not only do we reward hoarding land, but because the banks are very happy to take land as collateral, land, which is an illiquid asset, can be made liquid by borrowing against it in the banks. So not only do you have a jaundice and a bias towards landowners, Mm. But what is an illiquid asset can be made liquid because of the bias of the banks. So consequently, people never have to sell. So as land prices go up, they can just borrow against it. They never have to sell. And that okay, yeah. accumulates more and more of the wealth of the country in the hands of fewer and fewer people. Now, extraordinarily, John, in 1879, 1879, so not yesterday, yeah. around the time the land leak, A geezer called Henry George, an American journalist and commentator and observer of societies, wrote the most successful economics book ever, and it was called *Progress and Poverty*. This was quoted by Tolstoy, by Churchill, by George Bernard Shaw. Amazingly, in the eighteen eighties, Henry George's book *Progress and Poverty* was the second biggest selling. Book in the United States, second only to the fucking Bible. Wow. Oh, okay. So, what was he saying? What was so, so Henry George's idea was, <laughs> yeah, it's I swear to it's, Jesus, right, right. It's an amazing book. Yeah, amazing book. Henry George's big idea was that land is a resource that can either be used or hoarded, mm. and that the value of land is not created by the landowner but by the people around it. And this is the interesting idea. What he said is, you take somewhere somewhere like Dublin 4, the richest part of Ireland, yeah. Kensington, the Upper East Side, Forest Hill and Toronto, wherever wherever yeah, you take yeah, it, right? yeah. What actually makes that area sought after is nothing to do with the individual owner. Take Dublin 4. It has the best train lines. It has the best schools. It has the best hospitals. Mm-hmm. It has Herbert Park. It has the Aviva Stadium. It has footfall on roads that are policed by the police service, by yeah. the Garda Yeah. right? Every single thing that makes houses expensive in Dublin for is paid for by other people, right? Trains, mm-hmm. yeah. buses. Schools, the teachers are paid by the
2: state. Yeah,
1: public amenities, all that.
2: So it's so, all the add-ons. It's the so the value of the,
1: of the value of the houses and the sites upon which the houses are built is not generated by the individual owners, but it's generated by society. Yeah. And if we didn't have the the dart, and if we didn't have the buses, and if we didn't have Vincent's Hospital, and if we didn't have all the all those posh schools whose teachers are paid by the state, mm. and the road system, there'd be no value there. So his idea was you have to tax the sites, right? Yeah. Because the site is the value, not the house. The house in Dublin for the bricks and mortar probably costs the same as a house in Darndale,
2: right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: Darndale is an abandoned area. So the value plummets because the public infrastructure is not good. Yeah. The public infrastructure in Dublin 4. So his idea is you tax the sites. It's called a site value tax. And this does two things. One, it gives back to the people the value that they have created through their taxes, right? Yeah, yeah. And number two, it prevents hoarding. Because if you're sitting on a property or a series of properties where the taxes is very high, you're going to use the land productively. Whereas at the moment in Ireland, we allow ourselves... Have land that sits idle and is unproductive. So as long as you see land as a resource, the more you tax it, the more you're going to use it. Right? Okay, so you're going to build higher.
2: So if you think of that's one way of looking at land. The other way of looking at land. But is- sorry, can I just ask you before you get there? I mean, given that this book is the biggest selling book in the world, was or from was Tolstoy to Bernard Shaw to all these guys. But so, so why haven't people kind of... Because the egg- land lobby... Adopting
1: that. The land lobby in the United States says, this is revolutionary. This could destroy our wealth. And in the Gilded Age, remember, in the 1880s, yeah. 1890s, all that time, the Great Gatsby, all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. right? All the way up to the 1920s. The billionaire class in the United States destroyed this idea. But it's still there. Right. Think about it. There's two ways, you know the game Monopoly we all played when yeah, we were kids. Yeah. Remember, like, you know, it was like Aylesbury Road was the poshest, yeah, Truman yeah. was the least posh, and la la la. You remember all that sort yeah, of thing, right? Yeah. And you do not pass go, do not right. Think about this game. This Monopoly was created in the last few years of the 19th century. Right? This is a really <laughs> right. old board game, right? Yeah. And Monopoly stands as the direct opposite. To what I would call the George and the Henry George idea. Think about what the game of Monopoly is. You accumulate properties, which are expensive, <laughs> you hoard them and you get rich.
2: Yeah. right. I'm hoping people land on them and but think about screw that. them think, over. But yeah. think
1: about that. So Monopoly is deep in our psyche, right? This is a board game that was created to amplify inequality. Think about it. That's right?
2: really good. That's right? really good, yeah.
1: Okay. and And we all know it. Right. And it's every single city in the world has got their monopoly. London has it, Paris has it, Toronto has it, New York has it, every city. Right. And it was a board game used to fetishize and amplify inequality through the mechanism of the housing market. And it's all based not on the houses, but on the site value. Yeah. The difference between Aylesbury Road and Crumlin. What they were basically saying to you is not that the houses are bigger. They are obviously bigger because the people are richer. Sure,
2: sure, sure. But yeah. it wasn't about
1: the bricks and mortar. It was about the snob value of the area. And the snob value of the area is generated by public infrastructure. And consequently, rich people are made richer by the tax money of poor people that pays for all the stuff. And George argued, and I argue, and it's so obvious to me, that once you figure out that the returns to land are not generated by the investment of the individual landowner, but they are generated by the investment of the rest of us, which drives up the site, and then the site becomes sought after and valuable. You tax it to do two things. One is to give the money back to the people, but the other one is to encourage the use of land. And I'll just leave you with a final thought. Look around Dublin, look around Cork, look around Limerick, look around Galway, all our cities, there is dereliction everywhere. You look up from the first floor to the second, third, fourth floor in the center of the city, and buildings are going to rack and ruin. Yeah, like that's dere- true. dereliction is vandalism for the property class, right? It's just a form of vandalism. And why is it vandalism? Because there's no punishment for allowing properties to go to rack and ruin. Why? because there's no tax on the site. If there was a tax on the site, you would use the three stories above for income because you have to, because you've got to pay the tax. But as long as there's no tax on the site, we encourage hoarding, we encourage vandalism or dereliction, Mm -hmm. and then every landlord hopes that they can just sell on to somebody with a great idea and some enthusiasm next time out. And all the while, land is less intensely used in urban areas. People have less places to rent. Rents go up and we end up in a situation where mechanics around this part of the world are going back to Poland because they can't afford to live here. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, before we let you go, I want to give you a sneak preview of some premium content which you can access via Patreon. Elif Shafak. Well, welcome back to Ireland.
3: It's very nice to be back here. In 2006, I wrote a novel called The Bastard of Istanbul. And that novel told the story of a Turkish family and an Armenian-American family. And it dealt with memory and amnesia. And it's a book that talks about the Armenian genocide. Uh, This is a novel. It's a work of fiction. And when the novel came out, I was put on trial. For the first time, a work of fiction was put on trial under Article 301, and I was accused of insulting Turkishness, but really nobody knows what that means. And there were mobs on the streets, like groups, ultra-nationalists spitting up my pictures, burning EU flags with my, you know, pictures. I could never forget those things. That went on for about a year. And at the end, it was it became so surreal because sentences had been taken out of the novel and used as evidence in the courtroom. And these sentences mostly belonged to Armenian fictional characters. As a result, my Turkish lawyer had to defend my Armenian fictional characters.
1: If you enjoyed that, you can hear the full episode and much more by joining us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams.